a lot of doctrine that's um, not very openly accepted today, but it's the Word, and, you know, we'd like to just walk down through it and, and give you as the Bible says it. That's what we've tried to do. We'd like to continue to try to do that. But we finished up last time, He Speaks of Pharaoh. Um, we'll back up maybe to 15. For He saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that sheweth mercy. So some of these terms, as soon as you say these, a lot of people will cut you off and they don't want to hear any more. But unconditional election is what you're seeing here. That God's choosing of man is not based on anything that man has done to earn that choice. So why is God choosing these to be saved? There's, there's no reason on our part that God saved us. We gave Him no reason. We done no good to earn that. But it was simply by God's compassion, His agape, that Greek word for love. You see it as charity in 1 Corinthians 13. That love of God for the souls of His elect is what brought Him to save us. And it is not of Him that willeth, nor of Him that runneth. There's nothing on my part that I can say I did that contributed to my salvation. Now, He's going to give us an example of this. Pharaoh, even for this same purpose, have I raised thee up, that I might shew my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Now, there might be a lot to argue with, but you can't argue with this. This happened. We've got record of it in the Word of God. We've heard it our whole life. God said of Pharaoh, I've raised him up for this purpose. I'm going to lay waste to Egypt. I'm going to destroy him. And I'm going to get glory off of his destruction before the whole earth. So in verse 18, Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. And we know by the account of Pharaoh that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. If there is a hardening of heart, that's brought about by the Word of God and the rejection of it. If there is a softening and a receiving of the Word of God, that's brought about by hearing the Word of God and God working by the Spirit bringing that about. So that it's not just random hit, or hit a lick here and there and maybe man will choose to come, but this is all directed and brought about by the hand of God. So verse 19, we'll pick up here. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? So remember, he's answering these questions that naturally come up. So he's already answered, Is God being unfair? Well, absolutely not. God's not being unfair. Well, here, well then if it's, if it's not of him that willeth, if it's not of him that runneth, then why is God finding fault with man who's resisting 
his will. Who is it that's able to withstand the working of God? Now that's, that's a hard question. How does the word of God answer that? Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? So this is an example out of the Old Testament. Does the vessel made by the potter, does it look to the potter and say, What have you done making me like you've made me? Absolutely not. Should the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why have you made me like this? But now I want you to be aware of this as well. The simple answer of the Word of God is, Who are you to question God and His authority? Who do you think you are to think that you know and understand and see and perceive more than God that think you, you think you know what's righteous and holy and good more than God, God who is perfect, thrice holy, that the created sinless angels are unable to look upon Him. Those seraphims that Isaiah saw, they had their face covered with two of their wings. And they said, holy, holy, holy. So who is man to look at God and say, why are you doing this? I, I believe Job did that for a short span wondering why and what's going on. And when God appeared to Job, He said, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I measured out the waters? Where are you at in the whirlwind when I'm having my power and my way? Where are you at? I tell you, man, the God's truth, we're, we're absolutely nothing compared to God. Who are we to question what God would do. But now let me ask you this now as well. Who asks this question? Did Pharaoh ask this question? Was Pharaoh saying, God, why did you make me rebellious? Is our lost world angry at God today saying, why have you made us like this? They're content in their evil, in their rebellion, and in their sin. And this is the God's truth. This is in, you can find it in Peter. In 2 Peter chapter number 2, verse 19. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. You know where man's at today? Man thinks that he's free and doing exactly what he wants to do. And if you ask man today, why are you like that? Because I want to be. This is the way I want to live. This is the way I choose to live. I don't want to go to church, and I'm not going. You ask the alcoholic why he's a drunk, it's not because he's addicted to it. Nah, we could quit any time. That's what they say, ain't it? We could quit this any time. This is just what I want. Well, that's the way mankind is in sin. The lost world is not angry at God saying, why have you made me like this? But this question comes, really, from people that's been regenerated, that God saved and delivered. Now I've, I'm coming to the realization that God saved me 
and I absolutely did not deserve it, no more than anybody else, God, why, why did you deliver me? Those are the ones that are asking this question. Those are the ones that are upset and that say it's not fair. But the truth is God could have left us in the lump that we were in. We would have been content to go on in sin. We're going to see it in just a minute. We've heard it. And, and let's just wait till we get there. So in uh, Romans chapter 3, where we've already looked, Romans chapter 3, verse number 5. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid. For then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath abounded more through my lie unto His glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? Now here's another twisting of the doctrines and the thinking of man with God's thinking and God's will. So man says, wait a minute, if my sin, if I can sin and it bring glory to God, then how can God judge me for that sin because He's getting glory out of it? Do you see what I'm saying? Pharaoh is going to reject God and God's going to get glory out of it. So why judge Pharaoh as a sinner if God's getting glory either way? Well, now if that's true, if God, if it's unfair for God to judge the sin of man, then how is there going to be a judgment? It's not unfair. I tell you what God's going to do. God's going to give what's fair to the sinner. God is not going to treat man unjustly by the law. I tell you what He's going to do. He's going to treat man more fair than He's ever been treated in, the, in His entire life. That's exactly right. They're going to get exactly what's fair and what's due them. It's not unrighteous for God to bring judgment. God is rewarding the payment for their iniquity on the heads of the sinners. That's what the judgment of the unbelieving world is going to be. It's not going to be like the Lord Jesus, a bunch of trumped up, made up charges where they make something stick that is untrue, God is going to, with our works and by the books, judge us by the Word of God, by that man whom He's ordained, the Lord Jesus Christ. Man will be found shortcoming of the law. We already know that. We already know that every man has come short of the law of God and God's going to reward the unbeliever because they have come short and failed the Word of God. Now I tell you what man wants. Man wants it in every case. We want what's unfair. You run a stop sign and you get a ticket. You want what's unfair. You want what's unjust. You want to be let slide. You want to rub a little money on it and it go away. That's the way we all are. You get caught speeding. Now you're speeding. You are breaking the law. What's just by the law? A ticket. But you know what we want? We want Him to let us go. Just, just let us go this time. 
We won't do it again. Man wants what's unfair. I tell you, outside of the Lord Jesus, we're going to get exactly what's fair unto us. And it's going to be our judgment and our destruction. And God will not be unjust in bringing that upon the heads of those that are unbelieving. In Daniel chapter number 4, now here is a testimony of the king of pretty well the entire earth at this time, Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 34, Daniel chapter 4, And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? Now if there was a man that had any authority, here's the man with the most authority. Who he wanted to come to power, he said it, and it happened. Who he wanted to be rich, he said it, and it happened. Who he wanted to be cast in prison, and who he wanted killed, all that Nebuchadnezzar could, had to say was the word, and there would be an army, there would be a soldier, there would be an officer that would carry out the commandment of the king. This man was a man of great authority over all the known earth in that day. And you know what his testimony is? Who can say to God, What doest thou? You know what the Lord done? He took this mighty man and he put him in the field like an ox for seven years. He did that to his redemption and to his salvation. Belshazzar, did Belshazzar, did he do that to Belshazzar? He did not do that to Belshazzar. He brought a word to Belshazzar. I'm going to weigh you in the balances. You've been found wanting. I'm cutting your kingdom off today. God could have dealt either way with every one of us. So you know why? Why we say to God alone be the glory. It's because we're saved because of God alone. He is merciful kindness towards us. He could have been fair towards us. He could have judged us as He was. So why have you made me this way? Nay, O oh man, but who are thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? In Job chapter number 40, Verse number 2, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. So do we need to get God down here 
get him to sit in the front of liberty? And can we teach him how things ought to be? That's a weighty statement, ain't it? Let him that's going to reprove God. If you're going to tell God that he's not fair and not right, and he's not operating that he should, then why don't we just figure out how God ought to act? How should God do? I tell you, God, God's in power and in authority. And just like Nebuchadnezzar said, He does what He wants, and there's nobody going to stop Him from doing as He sees fit. The problem is He knows more than me, and I can't admit that. Because in my mind, in the carnal mind, I know more, and I know better, and I know righteousness, and I know holiness, and I know what's good better than God does. Now that's not true. That's the way man thinks and feels. But remember this now. The lost world is not angry with God saying, why have you made me this way? They are content in their sin and in their iniquity and by their own choice, by their own admission, by their own mouth, that's where they want to be. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? So, I don't know if you've ever seen a potter. They got a wheel. They got a lump of clay. They'll cut a portion out of that lump of clay, put it on the wheel, and form. Now, does that potter not, with that lump of clay that's laying there, can he not make something beautiful meant for the king's house, meant to be on display at the king's house with half of that lump? And can he not take the other half of that lump and make a bedpan that you want to hide from everybody? He has that power. That potter with that lump has the power to choose what he makes with that because it's being made with his hand. Now that is what the Word of God says. That's the position, the power and authority that God has as He looks at the lump of mankind. But you've got to look at it this way as well. If this is the lump of clay that is mankind, where is that lump going to wind up at? In the furnace of hell. Ever be it. The whole lump is on the way to the furnace of hell. It's not that God's going to take half of it and prepare it for heaven, and He's going to take the other half and prepare it for hell. The God's truth is the whole lump's going to hell. Already, before God intervenes in it, before He cuts out a portion of it, the whole lump's going to the furnace made for the devil and his angels. You know what He's going to do? By His redemptive mercy, compassion, and love for man, He's going to cut some out of the lump and redeem it for His purpose. And the rest is going to be left to its will. The rest is going to get what it wants and what it asks for. Well, now why would God do that? Well, let's listen. Verse 22. Now this is, this is harder Scripture, but I believe you can see it if you'll take just a minute to ponder on it with me, what if God 
willing to shew his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto his glory, unto glory. So let's stop right there. Let's look at these two verses. Now you realize that the mercy is going to be highlighted on those vessels that he's redeemed by the wrath and judgment that's on the vessels that he's not redeemed. So let me ask you this, the first part of 22, if God is willing to shew his wrath and make his power known, stop right there. What's God going to do to show his wrath and make his power known? Well, he's going to bring a sword and cut off a bunch of people. He's going to treat them cruelly and he's going to afflict them and he's going to bring them down to the grave. He's going to be a mean God towards them and he's going to treat them like garbage. That's not how God shows his wrath. You've heard it I don't know how many times. God doesn't have to do anything for me to go to hell. Well, that's what he's saying. What if God, willing to shew His wrath and make His power known, endures with much long-suffering these vessels fitted to destruction? You know what God's going to do? God's going to be kind to them, merciful and long-suffering. Oftentimes, blessing them with a longer, a more healthy, and a more wealthy life than many of those that He saved and delivered. He's going to be good to them. He's going to bring them out of terrible places. They're going to be near death and He's going to heal them. He's going to take care of them and watch over them day after day in this life and rain on them just like He does His people. You know what that's doing? That's bringing man to destruction. Just God being merciful and long-suffering Look where that's got mankind. I mean, look at the United States. A country that has as a whole for many, many years saw the goodness, the long-suffering, you talk about long-suffering, and the mercy of God. Now, has that brought people as a whole to God? Let's look at a scripture or two in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse number 3. There is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live. And after after that, they go to the dead. So where's mankind? He's full of evil and madness. He is a lunatic. He's unable to come to the realization of the judgment and death that lies ahead. Now if you look, it's on the same page in my Bible. Chapter 10, I'm sorry, I'm back in Romans. Chapter number 8 of Ecclesiastes, verse 11. Because sentence against an evil work 
It's not executed speedily. Therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Now wouldn't you say this? If God was out patrolling our world today, and the minute man sinned, he got cut down. If God cut down and brought judgment, the very minute that man sinned, man would be more afraid, wouldn't you say? He'd think twice before he sinned. He would think, now I I don't want to get cut down like these folks that I've seen get cut down. I would like to live a little longer. I'd like to, to be in the goodness of God a little longer. I'm going to refrain. But God's merciful and long-suffering. And He's enduring with goodness and long-suffering on these vessels of wrath. And what does it do? It brings the madness of mankind to a place that he thinks I'm never going to be judged for my sin. I'm not going to have to pay for that. I believe just exactly what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3. It's continued since the beginning. Nothing's happened yet. I've heard that my whole life. I'm not going to be judged and I'm not going to face trouble and that's not going to come upon me. What's God had to do for man to get there? Endure. That is man's natural state when left to himself. That's it. All God has to do is not intervene. And now you want the big picture of that. See, you can bring it down individually, but it's the same corporately as a whole as well. Here's mankind from Adam onward. What's God have to do that all of the seed of Adam, all of mankind, die and go to hell? What if He just don't send Jesus? He don't intervene in it. And He says, I'm just going to let it go and I'm going to leave them to their self and I'm going to let them have their own way, and I'm going to let them have their own will and way, what would the earth be like? Where would mankind as a whole be? You know why there's salvation today? Because God intervened in the affairs of man. God sent His Son. God called out Abraham. God made a change in man. God's delivered sinners from darkness. And if God did not intervene, if He just held back, and endured with long-suffering, man would fit himself for destruction and willingly walk off into it and never think twice about it. I've said this many times, but my God, how true it is, and we've seen the example of it right here. There was Pharaoh, who this God had just destroyed all of the country of Egypt. All of the fish were dead. He had brought great disease. He had diseased the cattle and a multitude of them had died. He had destroyed their crops with locusts and He had killed the firstborn. The Bible says there wasn't a house without one dead in it in all of Egypt. Pharaoh's house included. What judgment that God had brought on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And He says, I'm going after them and bringing them back. And he comes to the sea and the sea is stacked up on either side 
And here goes the children of Israel on dry ground in the middle of the Red Sea. And Pharaoh says, I'm going in there and getting them. Would you say that was madness? Crazy. But there's the natural state of mankind. There is where man will be if God does not soften the heart and bring them to the truth. They'll willingly walk into their own judgment and destruction believing believing that it won't happen to me. In Proverbs chapter 16, some places stuff is implied. It's hard to see and pick out. Some places it's just said quite plain. In Proverbs 16 verse 4, the Lord hath made all things for Himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. To imply that wickedness is out of the control of God would be to imply there's a place that God doesn't have control. The Bible says God's made it all. He is the potter. And we're the lump. And so we can take this here. So you got a lump. He's making one to honor and one to dishonor out of the same lump. Is that not Jacob and Esau? Out of the same lump? Out of the same family? The same mother and father born at the same time? He made one vessel unto honor? He made another unto dishonor. The truth is He took one out and redeemed. He left the other one right where it was. God did that endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. So they are fitted to be destroyed. Again now, is not all of mankind in his natural state fitted for destruction? That's what he's, that's what he's made for, naturally speaking. By his own will, by his own choice, by his own determination, his choice is to rebel, to sin, to be found guilty, to be cast into destruction. So God, let's look at some of these words. Endured, to bear or to carry. With much long-suffering, forbearance and patience. You know what He's doing? He's withholding, bringing judgment on them. And they're getting worse, and they're getting worse, and they're getting worse. So what does that do then? And that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy, which He had afore prepared unto glory. Well now, if God deals good, long-suffering, and merciful with mankind and mankind just continually gets worse by that, what does that say then about them that are saved? Is it not safe to assume that if God did not intervene in Jacob, that Jacob would have wound up like Esau? Absolutely. They were out of the same lump. They were of the same nature. 
Would it not be safe to assume that if God had not intervened in Moses' life, that he would have been just like Pharaoh was? He was raised up under Pharaoh, spent 40 years down there in Egypt as the prince of Pharaoh's house. But you know what God did? God called him and brought him out of there and made the difference. And who gets the glory? God does. God gets the glory. Because it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but it's God that sheweth mercy. And God is revealing in them that are destroyed just how good that he has been to them that are saved. I don't think it's thought of very much. I don't think man spends a lot of time pondering what he believes and what it implies. But if I somehow deserved my salvation, then God's goodness is decreased by that. Because goodness would imply that I'm getting something that I didn't deserve. Goodness would imply that it was God's mercy that brought it. But if I did something, then I earned something, and it's more of a payment for what I've earned than it is God being merciful with me. Now that's what he's saying here. He's saying, look, God's being merciful and long-suffering with a wicked world and they're not coming to God. They're not being saved. Some of us, our own family, God's been good and merciful to and they've not come to God. Why have I come to God? Because God intervened. And I tell you, by the destruction of the sinner, by the hardness and rejection of God in the hearts of them that are undone, it proves that it's only by His mercy and the riches of His goodness that there's anybody that's been saved. God's going to do wondrous works before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is not going to believe a single one of those works. He's not going to be turned by that. Now could God not have just killed Pharaoh with the flu and brought up another king that would have let the people go? God, God could have done, could He not have done that? Absolutely God could have did that. But this was designed for God to get the maximum glory and honor in the world that was round about. It was. This was the design and purpose of God for His glory. And it, it worked because they're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. All of them 20 year old and upward besides Joshua and Caleb are going to die. And God's going to bring them across Jordan and everybody in Jericho, their hearts are going to melt for fear. And you know what Rahab said? Forty years later, the people are afraid because we know what God did to Pharaoh for you down in Egypt. God's name was glorified through the rejection and the rebellion and the hardness of man. And His mercy and goodness on these people was highlighted and proven by the destruction of Pharaoh. <clears throat> I preached this just a little while back. 
And I, I can't remember where I was when I preached it. I, I may have been here. But in Psalms, right there where right there where Brad read, he left off reading. But right below where he left off reading, Wednesday night, he says, I gave Egypt for your ransom. I destroyed Egypt to redeem you. You know what that does? My God, what love that God had for Israel that He destroyed Egypt that they might be redeemed. I tell you, God's, God's allowing a world to go on in rebellion and ungodliness that He might deliver His elect out of it. And it's going to be proven without question that it is only by the grace of God that anybody is saved. It is not by anything that man can do, but it's to the praise, the honor, that he might make known the riches of his glory. Well, I was brought up in church. There's been many that you've known brought up in church and they're gone. I was taught the right thing. There's been many that's been taught the right thing and they're gone. Well, my daddy was a preacher. There's been many that's daddy was a preacher and they're gone. There's been many that was moral and they're gone. Well, I was raised in Spring Creek. I was raised in Del Rio. There's been many raised in these places and they're gone. What is it then that we are sitting here saved and our family, our neighbors, our co-workers, those right around the church, how can we be saved and they're lost? The riches of the grace of God delivered us out of our natural state that we could be saved. Because I tell you, God let, let me go long enough that I knew I wasn't going to come to God on my own. You're saved. I believe God let you go long enough to realize you wasn't going to do it yourself. This salvation is completely, totally, and fully of the Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, Wherefore it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Now that is the Lord Jesus. Without question, wouldn't you say? A chief cornerstone chosen by the hand of God to be the cornerstone and absolutely precious of more value than anything the world has to offer. The Lord Jesus Christ, that cornerstone. Unto you therefore which believe, He is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. So man's disobedience changes nothing of God's work. You see that? There's those that are saved that this cornerstone is the most precious thing that's ever been laid in their life. They've got a salvation worth more than everything else that they've got combined. But there's a world 
that says, I don't want that cornerstone in my life. I don't believe it's worth anything. Well, whether man believes he's precious or man disallows him, this cornerstone is still the head of the corner. And this is what he's become. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye... So we've got a lost world that the Lord Jesus has been laid out there and they're falling over top of Him. The chosen stone of God for salvation brings them to stumbling and falling. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shew forth the praises of Him, listen, who hath called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. You have been called out from that natural state of man and been redeemed that God's name might be glorified, that it's only by Him, His goodness, His mercy, and His Son Jesus that were delivered. And the unbelieving world further proves that it's only by Him. Even the unbelievers in the church further prove that it's only by Him. Because if it was by knowledge if it was by understanding, if it was by hearing the Word of God, the Jew in Paul's day, every one of them would have been saved. If it was by that today, then everybody that goes faithfully to a Bible-preaching and believing church would be saved by the knowledge. But that's not true. We've seen evidence that that's not true. You know what it proves that proves that it's only by the grace and power of God that anybody is delivered. And it brings me to this place that if I'm going to speak of my salvation, all I can say is thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift, the Lord Jesus, and for His grace that called me out of the darkness that I was naturally in into the marvelous light of the Son of God. Ever been a work of His hand to the praise of the riches of His grace. In Ephesians, one more place and we'll stop. We're almost out of time. And this is very familiar to everybody. Ephesians 2. We've got the first three verses. The natural state of man again. Dead in sins. Rebellious towards God. Led and controlled by the prince of the power of the air, there is mankind. How is he going to be any different? Well, by a lot that you hear today, he needs to choose to do better. He needs to choose to accept Jesus. Maybe hard to swallow, but this dead man that's in a coffin up here in front of the church, can he choose what he wants to wear? He's got no choice. He's dead. Well, spiritually then, we were dead. So what happened then? 
that we could be alive. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us. I didn't earn this. This was not a paycheck that He was paying me for something I did. And it wasn't a paycheck that He was going to pay me for something that I was going to do. But it was God being merciful with me and showing me His undying compassion for my soul. That God appeared to me, that God called me, that God drew me, that God changed me, that God saved me. And anything now, from that day of salvation forward, any fruit of the Spirit that He gets off of my fig tree is a result of the engrafted Word that He planted down in my heart. Not that I'm working and I'm doing so that He'll glorify me, but He is working in me that I will glorify Him. And if He quit working, I'm going back where I was. I'm going to do like Peter and say, boys, I've waited long enough. I'm going fishing. That was before the Holy Ghost. I'm not accusing Peter. That's what we ever one would do. You let God let us go and we're going back to what we know. Naturally. That's brute beasts. But it's the work of God. And it's that way. So that God receives every bit of the glory and honor. He said, I'll give my glory to none of us. It's God's glory. Not the churches, not the preachers, not the deacons, not the, the Baptist convention. There's no glory left for any of those. The glory's to God. And if there's a church on Spring Creek, it's because God has elected to save some and put some there. To the praise of His grace and glory in the beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, if you're a pretty little vessel, if you're a vessel of honor, you know why you're that way? You did not make yourself that way. This did not make itself that way. Those flowers, that material did not form itself into that place. There was somebody that knew what they were doing, that put all of this stuff together the way it is. I tell you what we were. We were the lump of Adam and we were all damned into hell. We were all blinded by our sin. We were all dead in the filth of this world. And God, the master builder, the potter, He came and made us into a vessel of honor. And if He didn't come, I'd still be in the lump. That's where I'd be and that's where you'd be. So it's all then to the praise of His grace in the Lord Jesus Christ that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy which He had afore prepared unto His glory. Unto glory. This was the Lord preparing afore. Afore what? That, that means Before. So when did God prepare this? If we believe the book in Ephesians chapter 1 verse number 3 and verse number 4, this was prepared before the foundation of the world. 
God determined then that the church that's saved today would abound to His glory. It was predetermined. We've already, we've already covered it. He says, the children being not yet born, neither having done good or evil. So it wouldn't have worked. Not at all. He's clear of that. God saves by His mercy. And the only claim man's got is, thank God for His mercifulness, His kindness, and His grace upon us. That's all that's on our heart. Anything you'd like to say? Thank you for your attention. Pray for us.